And welcome back to another episode of Millennial Manhood. I'm your host, Yavitsa Churchovich. And today I've got a special guest, Jenna Shellman. Jenna is joining us from the Seattle area. She is a coach, a consultant, a podcast host. She is a, a woman of many skills and, and got her fingers in a lot of different projects, which is awesome and has a super cool story. So um, Jenna, for, for folks who don't know who you are, give us a give us a 10,000 foot view of, of you or your story and your background. Yeah, of course. Uh, thank you, by the way. That was a great intro. Mm. Uh, hello, everyone. My name is Jenna Renee Shellman. I am a professional coach. My company is called Leading With Your Gut Coaching and Consulting. It is smart coaching for go-getters who want to boost their confidence, pivot from burnout, and live a purpose-driven life. I am a millennial. I was born in 86, so I definitely have got along this path of not necessarily wanting to take the traditional route in terms of my career, what it means to be a woman, potentially getting married and having kids. So I've gone on this journey of you know, going through two major careers on a third career to really just chase after my purpose and my passion. And that's, that's what I'm here to, to, help, um, to help you, whether you're a millennial or a go-getter. Um, that's that's kind of what I do. My podcast is called Leading With Your Gut. It features really cool people from around the world who share stories about embracing fear and having the courage to listen to their intuition. Mm, I love it. I love it. Okay. So there's a lot to unpack in there. And, and I was <laughs> I was thinking about it this morning before we we hopped on the interview. So so here's the thing. Pivot from burnout. Mm-hmm. All right. You and I, both millennials, same generation. Um, I was talking to my parents about this not too long ago, and there is this generational sadness almost amongst millennials. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I think a lot of that has to do with that term that you just used, burnout. Yep. And I was thinking about this. So everybody listening, they know I'm a financial advisor in my, in my, uh, my day job and then podcaster by night. And I was thinking about the financial aspects of this coronavirus and the shutdown from a professional standpoint. So obviously there's the emotional and human standpoint that I look at it, but then I'm also looking at it professionally and being like, oh my gosh, what can we learn from this? And it took me back to 2007, 2008, 2009, when our generation was graduating from college. And then like 1998, when companies were flying you all over the world, to get you to interview, <laughs> right? everybody and their mom, all they heard was, hey, good luck, kid. Hope you have fun. Mm-hmm. And so, so we survived that at the begin, beginning of our career. And now as we're coming into the twilight of our really professional existence, we're having to survive this. Yep. So we're getting like a one-two punch mm-hmm. on top of that sadness, on top of that burnout, on top... I mean, just talk to me about what are you seeing with the people you're coaching, the podcast interviews you're doing, just, just what, elaborate on that term and just the, the worldview of a millennial. Yeah. Well, the people that I connect with that are millennials, they kind of all have the same type of theme or story or worry or fear, right? Okay. It's kind of all the same. So in between the people I coach and podcasts and a survey that I put out a while ago, just mostly focus on, focusing on millennials. A lot of millennials feel like, yeah, they got the short end of the stick, especially ones like me and you who graduated around 2008. That's when I graduated, right? And and, um, our generation was in a generation where it was very much encouraged to go to college. Now, Mm -hmm. higher education is incredible. I used to be a teacher. 
I love college. I love learning. Please go to college if you feel like it is going to truly, truly benefit you, right? Mm -hmm. But what a lot of millennials in our generation didn't realize is that bachelor's degrees were going to become saturated at a certain Mm -hmm. point. So I, I was interviewing a guy on my podcast a while ago, and he's so passionate about higher education. And he said that um, boomers have like a, a pretty small percentage of boomers have bachelor's degrees. It's like less than 10%. Seriously? But then, yeah. But wow. then when you look, right. But then when you look at millennials, it's, it's high, it's closer to like 40, 50% of people. Hmm. So when a boomer got a bachelor's degree, they were getting flown all over. Right. Yeah, and even a Gen a Xer. It's a big deal because you, you went to college, you accomplished something. And so all these companies were opening the doors right? To boomers and a lot of Gen Xers. For a millennial, by the time we got to that peak, a bachelor's degree can be saturated unless it's like super, super skilled, right? Like an engineer Mm -hmm. or doctor and such and such. So what a lot of people did um, during 2008, 2009 is we went back to school. Mm -hmm. We got a master's degree. And like I said, you guys, there's nothing wrong with learning. I I love college. I had a great experience. But then what happened was we got out of college and a lot of us either didn't get the job that we wanted to or that we thought we were going to get. And we ended up with a lot of student loan debt. So Mm -hmm. most of my friends, they didn't really have a free ride from their parents, right? Like they have, they had loans. I had loans. And a lot of people that I know have loans more than a hundred thousand dollars. To me, that's personally high. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that same type of experience didn't happen as often with boomers or as often with Gen Xers. One, because the the price of college was lower. Two, there were more jobs open, right? And and three, they didn't go into a recession. So that's a theme that I hear all the time from from millennials, people our ages. Okay, I went to college. I had this great experience. College was so much fun. But I came out of it into an entry-level job. And I'm either realizing I I don't want to be in this job. I don't know what I want to do. And I have all this debt, mm-hmm. right? So what was this all for? So it's, it's this confusion. It's, it's this confusion that people are having, right? You don't want to sit here and say college is bad for you because it's not, it's not at all. It is your ticket to opportunity or it can be, but it's just, it, it's, it's hard for a lot of people in our generation who kind of feel like they're working really, really hard to get to where they think they need to be. And then they're getting smacked down. And then on top of that, now we have coronavirus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now we have yeah. coronavirus. Right, yeah. which is, you know, a, a massive, obviously massive pandemic and is really affecting our economy. And we have no idea when this is going to end. Yeah. So, you know, people my age and they're like early, mid 30s, you know, they're at the point where they're like, okay, maybe I can like buy a house. Maybe I can start paying off some debt. Maybe I'm doing okay in my job or I want to pivot from this burnout and start a business or do something. And now it's like, nope. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> Like it's, maybe you can buy else, maybe the market will crash, but yeah, yeah, yeah. It's well, it's it's so interesting. So what you said about a bachelor degree becoming saturated. Mm-hmm. So here's so I'm an economist by trade. Mm-hmm. Right? And I'm the son of an economist. I had cost benefit analysis shoved down my throat when I was like five years old. And I'm like, Dad, I just want to play in the sandbox. Just let me be. <laughs> but so bachelor degree becomes saturated. Every everybody essentially has one. If you're if you're a middle class American, essentially you go to college. Basically. Middle, yeah. upper middle class. Really the, the people that, are, that don't have the opportunity or even the expectation tend to be poor households. That's really when you break it down. But for conversation's sake, middle class and up, you're pretty much going to college. Let's, let's, use, some, let's use some basic logic here. 
So the degree becomes worth less. Yes. Mm -hmm. There are more people going, Mm -hmm. yet costs are outpacing inflation Mm -hmm. 3x. Right. I'm having a hard time understanding the economic math here, guys, because any econ class, when you have a widget and there's less of a demand for the widget and more of a supply for the widget, all of a sudden the cost of the widget goes down, guys. Yet we have, because of government-backed programs, because you can be 18 years old and sign up for $100,000 worth of debt and nobody runs a credit check or explains anything right. to you, mm-hmm. colleges, is, it's basically they're just, they're just getting all this government money pumped into them via these loans, mm-hmm. and, and it's, it's almost like an arms race. Mm-hmm. And we were part of that generation that really mm-hmm. got kicked in the face via that arms race. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, and yeah, leaving college with 150 grand in debt to go make 60,000, that's a problem. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You nailed it. You nailed it. And on top of that, most of us have boomer parents who either didn't go to college, right? Or may, uh-huh. may have or done a little bit of college. And they were like, my kid's the first kid that's going to get their bachelor's degree or whatever. Uh-huh. Right. And so they, they push us and they motivate us because they love us uh-huh. and they want us to have a better life, obviously, than they did because our parents love us. So our generation, we're being pushed. You go to college, you go to college, you go to college. Like I said, guys, nothing wrong with that. But there are so many implications that a lot of people don't realize going into college, such as what is a loan? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what is interest? What's the principal? How do, how do I pay this off? How can I pay this off? If I get a job that's starting at 60000 and I have $150,000 in debt, like how can I pay this off realistically? Well, and I'll, I mean, I'll even speak of my own experience being yeah, part of an immigrant too. family. You know, it was all about you going to college and you got to find a scholarship. And it's, but nobody, there was no guidance around how do you get even scholarships? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I mean, I'm not going to name names, but guidance counselors in high school were pretty much completely useless. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm just calling it what it is. Sure. Now, now as an adult, I look back, I'm like, holy crap, I could have applied for all kinds of thousand dollar off scholarships yeah. and just racked them up. Mm-hmm. But I'm 16, 17 years old. I have no idea. My parents speak English as their third language. They have no idea. Mm-hmm. Why the hell did nobody ever just do a session in school instead yeah. of doing these pointless ass classes? Mm-hmm. How about you teach us something that actually matters? Right, right. So, right. <laughs> yeah. Like something that's actually functional instead of, right. how about this guys, instead of having a baseball coach teaching economics where we just sit there and copy <laughs> out of the book because he needs to teach a class so he can coach a school, oh, uh, coach his team. Yeah. How about you actually have somebody competent teaches economics? Right. How about that guys? Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. sorry. Sorry, that was a quick rant, but man, I'm getting pissed off thinking back at that now. I'm sorry, but but it, but something for us to get pissed off on, right? Right. Like we like what the hell? Like we kind of got screwed. Well, well, and and there's so many other facts. So let's say 150 grand in debt coming out of college. You know, I don't know what it's like in Seattle. I mean, I know Seattle has a relatively high cost of living. Oh yeah. But your your first home here in Nashville, and Nashville mm-hmm. may, might be a bad example because the real estate market here is just like stupid through the roof. Um, but a starter home, like a decent, like starter home in the city, mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. Nashville, three bedroom, two bath is going to run mm-hmm. you 320, 330. Okay. okay. That's the start. Okay? okay. So, I mean, let's do the math on that. You get an FHA loan because you don't have 70 grand to put down. So you put 3.5% down on that. That's probably what, 10 grand. Okay. Then you got your PMI, you got your insurance, you've got your um, property taxes, you're looking at a $1,700, $1,800 a month mortgage payment. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
on top of the thousand dollars or whatever you're paying on student debt. Mm-hmm. Okay. We're already looking at 40 grand a year yep. in expenses before you even paid a light bill. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, well, how's this math supposed to work out? Right. So, and, and, and you hit another good point. That's another thing with home buying. So in Seattle, the cost of living here is outrageous. It's yep. really, it's really kind of following the San Francisco model, which San Francisco, by the way, like y'all, if you live in San Francisco, I don't know how you do it. Like yeah, you get a rancher more- for a million. Right. Basically. Right. Like it's more expensive than New York at this point. You know, I have friends in both cities. Like I don't even know how people do it in Seattle. It's really getting to that. So the average before this, you know, coronavirus thing, but but the average house in Seattle was in between like six and $700,000. Now this is not your three bedroom. This is like a shitter hole with like no, you know, no yard, like not a lot. You have to put more money into it to fix it up. Okay. So what's 20% of that, right? Like that's, what, like $150,000? Something yeah, on like a $600,000 house, yeah, hundred twenty. Like, who has that money? I don't, right? Yeah. Like, who just has that cash laying around? So people, and people who typically do are people who are boomers or Gen Xers, right? Who are mm-hmm. able to capitalize that on past investments that they had. Most millennials, I know at least, and guys, maybe I'm really, really wrong, don't really just have that cash lying around unless it's from like a trust or from something else. So most of my friends that I know either don't own homes or they're just kind of starting to look right now, Mm -hmm. or they've had full help from their parents here because it's it's tough. And that's the other thing with going back to this traditional life, this traditional path of a a millennial or anyone who's who who feels this way of buying a home is definitely something that a lot of us want to do. It's a huge accomplishment. But if you live in a city like Seattle, Nashville, it's so hard when you have all these other student loan debts and other debts that you have, and you're making like 60 grand a year. Like, how are you supposed to buy a house? And then if you buy a house, is it a complete piece of shit? Yeah. But like, do you want to live in a piece of shit? Yeah. I mean, I totally, I totally agree. And I tell people all the time, like, there's also this myth that boomers have uh, been sold and it's not their fault. They were sold by the banks who came up with this wonderful concept of a mortgage uh, that makes more money for the bank than it does for the individual. But buy a house, it's an asset. It's not an asset. It's 100% a liability. Unless your house, unless your house is somehow putting cash in your pocket, if you are at a net loss at the end of the month, it is not an asset. It is 100% a liability. Okay. Passive real estate income, owning apartments that you profit off of the cash flow, that's an asset. Right. But you have to think through, okay, how do you strategic, how do you strategically set your life up to give you the largest chance for success? And I think a lot of the sadness that comes about and the loneliness and frustration and burnout in millennials is, you know, we were sold this dream that just mm-hmm. is not attainable in the same way. Not that it's not attainable. It's just not, not attainable in the same way as Absolutely. it was in the past. Absolutely. Yeah. And it feels as if other generations don't really get it, right? Like they'll, a lot of generate, a lot of boomers will call our generation like lazy. Mm-hmm. right? People who don't really like want to work hard. You know, our generation, we, we switch jobs like every few years because we want to experience joy and we want to try to find purpose and passion. And if we're going to work for $60,000 nine to five, then we might as well do something that we like doing. Right. Well, and, and to take a step further on that, um, I hate to break it to you guys, but your company's not loyal to you. Mm-hmm. Okay. I know quite a few people who lost their jobs during this coronavirus thing who yeah. were told that there would be no job cuts. Mm-hmm. Okay, don't talk to me about loyalty within a company. Now, there are business owners that are loyal. Smaller businesses, typically, they'll go out of their way. But you got to look out for yourself in the capacity of what is your best opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and 
you know, it, it, it goes into a lot of different areas, but that, that finding, the finding of that joy. So I want you to elaborate a little bit more on that, on the happiness paradox, basically the millennials face, because we're the Facebook, Instagram generation really yeah. that got sucked at, well, I guess MySpace, Facebook generation <laughs> that got sucked into uh, the likes and the approval mm-hmm. and, and this mm-hmm. sense of happiness. And I think the trap just personally, I think the trap is that our generation looks for happiness as a state of being instead of a contrast to sadness. Ooh. Yes. 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 We're, I feel like we're a generation of pure validation. We need to be validated in everything that we do. And social media has really pushed that. Now I like social media, you guys, like I'm on Instagram, I'm on all of them, but I can recognize when it starts to get out of control. Like I can recognize now where I'm like, why am I obsessing over people who aren't following me and people who aren't liking me? And Mm -hmm. I recognize that it's just me trying to seek validation. And for for some reason, our generation is really obsessed with it. Yes, I do definitely think it's social media. It could also be this idea that our our parents kind of grew up in a time when they're raising us where they had to kind of helicopter. Not all parents were like this, but a lot of parents had to helicopter, right? Cause like kids were going missing and they're on milk boxes and all this stuff, right? So they had to start helicoptering us and they had to kind of start doing things for us instead of letting us like kind of learn and play like the way that they kind of did. Mm-hmm. And then there's this whole idea of, well, everybody's a winner right? Like, you know, if you have a competition, you know, this person gets first place, but then everybody else gets an award too. So then there's this idea of, do we truly understand what failure means? Mm. Right. And maybe in just a combination of all those little things. And then you have social media that really just tells you every like is like, oh, you're good. Oh, you're pretty. Oh, you're smart. Oh, I like what you're saying. It's this validation, right? Mm -hmm. Of, of, of something that we are just painstakingly needing right now. So mm. it's like a combination of everything. Yeah, it's, uh, it's an interesting concept in the sense that the, the helicopter parent, um, so I, I had parents in my life that were very involved, but also let us screw up. So okay. yeah. that might be more of the um, cultural difference, probably. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. But I remember I was an orientation leader in college one summer, which is basically the people like when you come through orientation, like the people who are like being silly, dancing on stage and leading like all the freshmen and all that stuff, which was such a fun summer. I mean, I got paid like five grand to basically just hang out, nice. uh, which when you're 19 is <laughs> like real money. That sounds awesome. <laughs> but I remember the parents being just so obnoxiously annoying. Yeah. And how much they helicoptered. Mm-hmm. And this is, you know, I'm a, I just finished my freshman year. So these are, these are people who are a year younger than I am. Some yeah. of them, not even a year. Mm-hmm. They might be a couple months younger than me. We're just in different grades. Mm-hmm. And like parents following along on sessions, parents, like, like asking just like the most like anxiety ridden questions. And I'm like, dude, your, your kid's about to go to college. Like cut the umbilical cord. It's mm-hmm. okay. Like mm-hmm. they've made it this far. They won't die. Um, so I, I wonder you know, do you feel like in your coaching specifically, do you feel like a lot of those topics where people are maybe holding some resentment towards their parents and their Mm -hmm. upbringing, do those conversations come up ever? A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I've had a couple of clients who've talked about that, whether they had parents that were too much, like they were too involved, they're too Mm -hmm. helicoptery, or it's the opposite where not necessarily opposite where it's 
it's it's that they just don't approve of anything that they're doing because Ooh. it's totally different from what they're doing right Elaborate so for example that. like client x was telling me that you know his his parents are like really really successful and they are your typical boomers they work they work really hard every day. They, they're, they're great. Honestly, they're great people. They've raised a family. Like they're really, really accomplished. Okay. Mm -hmm. Very known. And he is someone who doesn't want to necessarily take those paths. He, wanna, he wants to find success in a different way for him. And okay. they have a hard time with that. They're mm -hmm. very much like, you know, why aren't you married yet? Why, mm -hmm. why haven't you found the right woman yet? Why, mm -hmm. why, why do you keep changing jobs? Why are you, why are you traveling so much? Why are you going, why are you spending your money? on going to all these different places. And so mm. success to them is not the same as success to him. And so he feels like it's, yeah, it's kind of helicoptery. They've kind of been like that, but it's also more so of like, he feels like he's not doing anything right. Yeah. But which, in his heart, he feels like he is. So which is creating just a negative snowball. Yeah. And it, it creates and, resentment towards the parents where exactly. you don't even want to spend time with them. And yeah. then that deteriorates right. the relationship, et cetera. Right. Right. Well, I mean, I'll give an example of my parents. My parents are amazing, by the way. They're so great. And, and they've really turned a corner with mm -hmm. me, but it's, it's a work in progress. They, you know, my dad, he worked for 46 years for Washington State Ferries. And I'm so grateful for that because he put food on the table and let us do things that middle-class people do. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but when I decided to leave teaching years ago, I taught for about five, five, six years because my gut told me to, and I knew that I, there was something else out there that I could do that incorporate teaching where I could make more money, right? And gain more skills. He flipped out. My mom did too, because the thought of me getting an undergraduate degree and then getting a master's degree and then taking a noble career such as teaching and then being good at it and then leaving, that was like, they did not understand that. Like in mm -hmm. their generation, that doesn't happen mm -hmm. ever, ever. And then I got another job and I was you know, working in corporate doing sales and I was really successful at that and in corporate leadership. And it took like a year and a half, two years for my dad to be like, I think this was kind of a good decision. It took him that long. Yeah. Right. And now I'm on this like third path of like, you know, now I really am honing in on like my purpose and I really am inspired to be an entrepreneur and right. And so now I'm on this pathway and, and it's back to the same boat of like, he's trying really hard to be supportive. He is, but like, he, they still don't get it. Mm -hmm. They don't get it. So just like their messaging towards me is necessarily not necessarily what I want to hear all the time. Whereas like my friends, they're way more supportive because they get it. Yeah. Whereas like, there's just such a difference. And at first, at first, for the longest time, I took that as resentment towards them. Mm. And that's my own issue, mm. right? And, and what I learned to realize was that their experiences are so different than my experiences. They had different hardships than I did, right? And they don't understand what I go through and they probably won't. So they're just trying to communicate with compassion and concern, Right. Not necessarily like you're doing everything wrong, even though sometimes it does come out like that, but that's what they're trying to do. So they're trying to communicate differently. So what I've learned is to communicate differently back to them. Mm. Okay. Right. Talk yeah. to them about things that's going to resonate well with them and that's going to make them feel comfortable about my decisions. You just said something so powerful. You said it came out, it came out as resentment towards them. Mm -hmm. but you realize that was your issue, not theirs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. I want you to elaborate on that because I think that should be tattooed on every, every millennial's forehead. <laughs> well, here's the thing. So if we have, we, we create beliefs 
and stories in our heads, right? And we have all these different experiences around us and that helps us create these beliefs and these stories. So something that you say to me, sure, it could be something positive or it could be something negative or it could be something offensive or whatever, but it's how we interpret it and what we do with it after that really matters. So it's this whole kind of concept of you can't really control what other people say or do to you, but you can control your thoughts, your ideas, your stories, and your actions. That's exactly what you can control. So there are a lot of people out there that get very offended if no one likes their posts on Instagram, right? They get upset and then they'll start creating stories in their head. No one likes me. I need to be validated. I did this wrong. It just, it turns into the spiral of anxiety, right? And that may not necessarily be the case. Yeah, sure, maybe someone didn't like your content or maybe it was just the algorithm or the time of day or whatever. But what that person can choose to do with their thoughts is up to them. They could, they could pivot and they could say, you know what, maybe it just wasn't a good post or maybe I just posted it wrong or maybe I'll just try better differently or maybe I'll connect with my audience different. But so many people go the other rabbit hole and they're like, I'm gonna take the post down. Mm. I'm going to like, you know, do all these things because it's always something against us. Whereas if we switch that thinking, if we switch it to, mm, I'm going to take the information that came to me, whatever it is. And I'm going to understand that I have the choice to do with that information, like how I want to, how I want to do with it. Right. So with my parents, they gave me information. Sometimes I'm like, why did you say that? Mm -hmm. Right. Yep. I have to take a step back. But my whole learning process with this is being able to do that and then finding ways to connect with them on a different level so they understand it. So we have a better relationship. Makes sense. So yeah, you mentioned earlier, and I think this ties well into what you just described. You mentioned earlier that you can recognize now when social media, the validation from it gets out of hand. Yes. Tying that in with what you discussed specifically how how can you um recognize that it's getting out of hand is there like a, a mental process you go through is there just a a, a thought experiment i mean yeah. i talk to myself all the time like i'll talk yeah. to my lizard brain and say lizard brain you're freaking out this is unnecessary yes you know give a little feedback on that yeah that's i mean that's a, that's basically it the, the first step is to just become aware of what you're doing what your body's doing and how you're reacting so many people are so unaware of what they're doing until they're way in it mm -hmm. and so they're like oh my god i've been freaking out for like three weeks why mm -hmm. am i freaking out right but the mm -hmm. second you can recognize your feeling from okay everything's great i feel good i see this post no one's liked it to i feel shame i feel embarrassment no one likes me no val as soon as you start to feel that switch that's when you need to stop and take a step back and be like, why the hell am I tripping out over this? Mm. And then you need to find a method that helps you process. Now, this is where everybody is different. So some people need to just like write and journal. I'm a writer. Mm -hmm. I love to write. I have to like write, write. I write out all this crazy shit every morning. I'm like, I don't even know where this came from. But that helps me, right? Some people just need to write. Some people need to like go for a walk for like mm. two hours. Some people need to like... They just need to like read something inspiring. Some people just need to like put cold water on their face or like just do something different. But whatever that is, the first step is you have to recognize that your emotions and, and your behavior and your thoughts have all of a sudden changed. And then you have to go into this place of why. Mm. And the, how you get the why is through whatever process you want to do. But most people don't recognize when they're going in that spiral. Mm. Mm -hmm. That I, th I think that's so powerful because, you know, I, I do... So I've talked about this on the podcast before. Yeah. 
I fully understand. I recognize it. Anxiety is real. It is. Okay. Yeah. Especially clinical anxiety is real. Yeah. I have the hardest time relating to that. Like, I don't know if, I don't know if it's the chemical makeup of my brain. I don't know mm-hmm. if it's certain resiliences I've built up. Like maybe I just yeah. have a really, really, really high tolerance for anxiety. So my wife and I talk about this all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't get it. Like I, 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 I cannot explain to you the last time I felt anxious. Okay. However, with that said, that doesn't mean I can't try to empathize with people who do experience it. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. So part of it is almost to me when I'm thinking through like how to, how to handle it is it's almost trying to empathize with yourself. Mm-hmm. Recognizing that it's happening. Yes. And then taking a step back, like you said, go take a walk, go walk, go write in your diary, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. And just empathize with yourself. Like, like Hey, shit hits, hits the fan right now. It's okay. Life happens. Yep. Yeah. How can we, how can we move forward? Yes. Um, on that it's, that, front. it's that self-compassion, having mm-hmm. self-compassion and kindness for yourself. Yes. And social media makes it really hard to do that because everybody's overly <sighs> critical of themselves. Oh my God. And some people, and some people, I, okay. I just joined Twitter, you guys in February. I'm so sorry. I, I kind of want to delete, right? I kind of want to delete it. I, I joined it cause I'm like, Oh, it's just another platform for my podcast or whatever. I'm curious. I've never done Twitter before. It and is like, a cesspool. It is accessible. And there's some mean people on Twitter. Like I don't even oh post that much. And I'm like, there's some mean fucking people on this thing. Like whoa. so mean, so mean. And so mean. I, I talked about this a couple episodes ago. There's something on Twitter and I use this example. So obviously I'm Serbian American. If I was walking down the street and some random person was like, Hey, Yavitsa, I hate Serbs. I would look at him and be like, bro, you're insane. Like have a nice day. Yeah. Enter mean comment, whatever. Like, you know, I've, I've talked to, to one of my friends about this before he's black. And he was like, yeah, if somebody called me the N word in the street, I would look at him like they're insane. Yeah. Yeah. Be like, okay, have a, have a nice day. Whatever. Yeah, crazy person. Yeah, yeah. But you put an at symbol in front of a username yep. and you see that. And all of a sudden like steam's coming out of yours and like, I got to respond. And it's like, no, mm-hmm. that person is the same person they would be if you yeah. saw their crazy ass on the street and you wouldn't right. care about them there. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. why is it important all of a sudden on Twitter? Right, right. And I, I completely agree with you. I, I'm trying to think from the perspective of, you know, someone, maybe someone who the, a specific, like a, someone who's, goodness, ooh, this white claw <laughs> is getting to me. I'm trying to think of if, if this were to happen to me, how I would respond. Yeah. So on the street, right? Like if someone says something like that, like I'm, I'm, I'm half black, someone said that to me, I would be like, you know, fuck you, right? Or just yeah, like, like walk whatever. away, like whatever. If someone said that to me on Twitter, I, you know, I actually think I would be a little more upset knowing myself. And maybe the reason being is because it's that at sign where it's like, it is, they specifically like mm. tar- took, took time out of their day to like target you, mm. right? And the fact that it's on Twitter, like how, mm. you know, then you have to go through the steps of, can I delete this? Other people are seeing it. It's opening up, you know, a dialogue for other people. Whereas on the street, it can just be a simple exchange and it's gone. That's the only thing I can think of, of how know. that can really trigger other people. Man, I have thought about a lot about a lot about that. Like how soft we've gotten in that sense. Like how everything just like sends us over the edge. I'm like, dude, like, yeah. like you have maybe 80 years on this planet. And that's right. like, if you're doing well, all right. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not a long time. Mm-hmm. That's 
what it's 2020 so that's 1940 to now yeah yeah <laughs> that's not yeah. a long time like this, right. this you you gotta you can't let every single thing you know ruin your life and even if it gets that yes. initial reaction out of you taking a step back and having that empathy with yourself and being like okay that pissed me off for one reason or another yeah yeah but how do i get over this because it's right. really not worth my time mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. are you really going to be on your deathbed and be like damn it i'm, I'm so pissed i didn't respond to that twitter comment exactly and that comes back to don't sweat the small stuff right you know and the other thing too is if you're going to put yourself out there like on twitter you have to expect, or like a podcast, whatever, you have to expect that you're going to get trolls. You're going to get people that are going to criticize you. That's just the whole game of putting yourself out there. So when you, so podcast called Leading With Your Gut. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let me ask you this. You, okay. put out your, you put out your first episode. When did you put out your first yep. episode? It was right after Thanksgiving. Okay. So early December, 2019. Yeah. You put out your first episode. Mm-hmm. How nervous are you at that moment? I almost threw up. <laughs> did you too did you almost throw oh, up yeah. or were you okay i remember telling my wife i was like babe I'm, I'm gonna need you to just keep playing on repeat because if this if nobody listens to this i'm just going to give up on life so question for you what were you the most afraid of before you decided to put your podcast out like what were you terrified of all right so i hated the sound of my voice yes until the okay. number one compliment i kept giving getting from people like the first weekend i was like you've got a great radio voice i'm like shit i do really Damn, you do okay. that mm-hmm. like, i appreciate that guys mm-hmm. um so that overcame and then too it's like it's uh so i did it with my best friend james that was the first episode because i needed somebody who wouldn't ask me if anybody would listen to this yeah <laughs> i needed someone who was just going to be down and i needed someone i knew i could have a good conversation with yeah um but it's still nerve wracking because it's like, I don't know. I've never done this. Who am I to put out a podcast that right. started as a passion project? Mm-hmm. And, and then it, it took off and mm-hmm. the feedback started being positive. And now, yeah. you know, you know, this like listening to like edits and things like that for hours on end. I'm okay with my voice. Sometimes when I say yeah. something stupid, I'm like, huh, that was funny instead of freaking right. out about it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's just weird. It's like putting your baby out there and being like, is it pretty? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Two things, two things with that. First, are you familiar with any of Benet Brown's work? Yes. Do you follow her or listen to her podcast or read or anything? I do not. It's on my to-do list. I know she's basically got a cult following. I know like I've, yeah. I've had it beaten to my brain that I need to, yeah. but I, I am not, I am yeah. not drinking the Kool-Aid yet. Okay. She, I, I, I drank the Kool-Aid a long time ago, but she, I, I love her. Else. Right. I love her one because she's so real. She's so vulnerable and everything is based on research. She's a, she's a doctor. Everything is based on research and data. Okay. So she talks about uh, something called an FFT. It means fucking first time. Mm. And this can be for anything that's bad or anything that's good. Now I know you said earlier that you haven't had anxiety a lot in your life, but it sounds like maybe you did with this podcast, right? When it first started? Uh, yeah, sure. Sure, sure. So uh, it could be a good or a bad thing. So an FFT is something that we experience all the time, right, for different things. So mm-hmm. it could be a good thing and it can be a bad thing. But she talks about how the result is kind of the same, where whenever something is going to happen to us and it's our first time, we tend to put up armor and mm-hmm. we like freak out, right? <clears throat> we start going through situations like for your podcast, well, maybe I don't know how my voice is going to sound. Mm-hmm. What if like no one is going to listen to me? Like, you know, you start freaking out and having these meltdowns. And then what some people will do is some people will, you know, displace their anger or their fear, their anxiety on other people. 
right? Mm-hmm. Which I, sometimes I can do that, right? Like you start freak, like I'll start freaking out on my partner and he's like, why are you upset? And I'm like, oh, it's cause this is my, it's actually just goes back to, this is my first time for doing something. Mm-hmm. Right. And then she gives these three strat- strategies for experiencing an FFT. And the first one is just to normalize it. And basically just to say, okay, this is my first time. I've never done a podcast before. Mm-hmm. I barely know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. I have, I have some equipment. I have a host, whatever. I have an idea. It is what it is. I'm not, I'm not Joe Rogan. Okay. Like he's been doing this for years. Like I'm not Joe Rogan. Maybe I will be one day, but this I'll is take my- the 300 million downloads. Right. Exactly. Right. So just like have compassion for yourself that this is your first time. You know, the second thing is to put it in perspective, kind of like the same thing, like, okay, this feeling of anxiety is not going to last for a long time. As you said with you, all of a sudden people start listening. You Mm -hmm. started realizing that you're good at this, that you love this. You're getting Mm -hmm. great feedback. Great. That whole feeling of like, oh, people aren't going to like me totally changed. It was probably Mm -hmm. short lived, right? It was short lived with me. And then you started seeing the impact. And then the final thing is like, you want to put it in perspective. So having this like reality check. So what a lot of people do when they start a project or want to start a project is they have all these super large expectations, especially being around being perfect. Mm. This kind of goes back to this idea that we talked about before we started recording of, there are a lot of people who want to start a podcast and they're like, I need a full consultant. I need a thousand dollar mic. I need a $2,000 stamp. I need all of these things because they want their product to be so perfect. Guess what? There's no such thing as perfection. Mm -mm. Perfection is the lowest standard no such thing. If you have an idea, if you have a dream, a goal, like what you did, you, you, you embrace those fears, like what you did and you fucking put it out there. It's, and that's what you did. The, the perfection thing is, is it can be so debilitating to so many different people. Yes. Um, it's actually a, 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 it makes me think of a quote. By Tell Tupac Shakur me. to Biggie Smalls. <laughs> nice. Tell <laughs> so, me. <laughs> so before before they started hating each other, back when they were best friends, apparently Biggie and, and Tupac were having a conversation, and Biggie was talking about how, um, you know, I like to have this amount. Like apparently Biggie was a perfectionist. Okay. And Tupac looked at him and said, "Dude, just put that shit out there. Just yeah. put that shit out there. Just put the quantity out. And good will come out of it." Mm-hmm. And when you look at their uh, discographies. Biggie has two albums. They're two fantastic albums. Tupac yes. has like 30. Right, <laughs> okay? right. right. <laughs> and they're both in the conversation when people talk about rap and hip hop, the conversation is always who's the greatest and it's between the two of them. Mm-hmm. But one, like you said, one was a perfectionist and one was somebody who was just like, shit, fuck it. I'm just going to put as much out there as possible. Yeah. Um, so I've taken part of that approach. I can't tell you how many times, and I don't know if you've done it yet, but in the podcast where I'm like, yeah, this might not be the best. But it's something and something good will come out of it. So go. Right. Right. Exactly. And it it just goes back to the idea of having the audacity to just be brave and be bold. Yeah. Right. Like we live on this. We live on this life. One time you said to, you know, most people are going to make it to like 80. Right. So we have a limited amount of years. So if we're not doing something that we don't love doing, whether it's with your work or just a project or hobby, whatever it is, like, what, what are you doing? Like have the audacity, have the boldness, embrace those fears talk to yourself, process, and put whatever you feel you want to put out there out on the market and see what happens. So what do you think you've learned most about doing your podcast? I've learned so much. I've learned a lot about myself, which Mm. is interesting. I've learned a lot about the different skills that I possess that I never thought I had. For example, I love to write. I Mm. love to write. 
And people are like, you're a good writer. You write good copy. People have asked me like, do you write your notes? All these different things, social media posts. I write all of that stuff. And I recognize that a lot of people aren't that great at writing, right? So that's a mm. skill that I've never realized that I had. The second thing that I've learned about myself is that I've always kind of known this, but I, I think I'm a good listener, but through the podcast, I'm a really good listener because mm. I'm so curious about the guest. I'm so curious about them. And this goes, this goes in my coaching too. I'm so curious about you and about your story. So I think I have the ability to listen, listen pretty well, mm -hmm. right? And to help kind of get on their level, help kind of empathize on their level. I think the third thing too is that going back to when I started this podcast after Thanksgiving, I literally was like, okay, five, 10 people are going to listen to this thing. Mm -hmm. It'll be my friends, like whatever. And this thing has really grown, right? Episode 21 comes out tomorrow. Mm -hmm. This thing has really grown and mm -hmm. my message has inspired more people than I thought that it would. And all I did was just take a risk. That's all mm -hmm. I did. And I yep. stayed consistent, right? That's, That's the all key. I did. Yeah. 100% the key. Yeah. No, and I love so that. People don't. Yeah. Well, I love that. And, and I also think one of the issues we have in society is everybody's waiting for their turn to talk rather than actually listening. There you go. Hmm. Mm -hmm. And the podcast in a lot of ways forces you to learn how to listen. Yes. So even yeah. just listening to a podcast, because you, if you're listening, you can't interject into the conversation. Mm -hmm. um, so that, that's something that I've definitely taken away from doing it. And, and I know other podcast hosts have, but Jenna, we're, we're, we're coming up on time. So I got to, I got to ask you the question. I ask everybody. I'm curious okay. to see what your response is. So okay. we go back to 18 year old, you wide eyed, okay. bushy tailed coming to college. Yeah. Um, if there's one piece of advice that you would give yourself at 18, knowing all that you know about yourself right now and knowing all that you know right now, what's that one piece of advice you'd give yourself? I only have one piece. Yes. <laughs> I think for me, it would be to tell my 18 year old self to slow down. Mm. You don't, you, you, Jenna, you're smart. You can figure basically anything out, but you don't have to have it figured out. Mm. Don't be, Maybe don't that. be a perfectionist at 18. There you go. Yep. You don't got it. Slow down. I like it. Yeah, slow I down. Like yep. Slower and closer, not faster and further. Yeah. I mean that if you want to go back to thinking back at starting college and being part of that generation, like the expectations we had on ourselves of perfection and having it figured out and really how seriously you take yourself at 18. My, right. my gosh. Right. Like I look back at it and I'm like, dude, you don't know anything about life. Shut up. I know. Yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Not even 18 year olds, 25 year olds, 30 year olds, some 40 year olds too. Right. Yeah, you can, yep. you can definitely tell how much life has kicked somebody in the jaw by how seriously they take themselves. Exactly, yeah. Um, so, yeah. well, awesome. So how can, how can folks find you? How can they find your podcast, coaching services, et cetera? Mm -hmm. Like, how do they get a hold of Jenna? Yeah, so for my website, it's leadingwithyourgut.com. Heads up, it's under construction right now. So depending on when this will air, not sure if you'll be able to see it. Oh, it should be done by the end of the month, I'm hoping. Okay. If you want to connect with me, learn about my services, I also offer a free 13-minute video on how to use the SMART method to create wellness-related goals. Mm -hmm. um, you can email me. It's leadingwithyourgut at gmail.com. 
Happy to send you the video, happy to send you the activity sheets to you. On social media, I'm on Instagram. It's Jenna Renee Shellman. I have another handle for the podcast. It's Leading With Your Gut. And then I'm on Facebook, LinkedIn, now Twitter, <laughs> which I don't know about anymore. <laughs> as soon and as then, you said you got on Twitter, I was like, no, this is, this is terrible. Right. <laughs> I, might, I might get off. Yeah. Um, and then finally, my podcast, Leading With Your Gut, uh, there's a new episode that releases every Wednesday. If you subscribe, you can get it early on Tuesday. Um, but it's on all major directories. So Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, all, honestly, all of them. So boom, check it out. Awesome. Well, and I'll make sure to put all the information in the show notes, but oh. Jenna, thanks for coming on. This was awesome. Yeah, this was good, so great. Thank you. Ha- had a good convo. For folks listening, as always, millennial-manhood.com. If you're going to check out the website, check out the blog, check out the book club. We just released a new book club episode um, on the five-day weekend. Um, info at mmcip.co if you want to get in touch with us if you got suggestions on folks we should meet if you've got criticism keyword constructive criticism don't just complain you got to offer a solution uh, otherwise we won't listen and outside of that i hope you guys uh, are enjoying your covet covet time hanging out inside and we'll talk to you guys soon